0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruvain Yeshua Pupko of Beth Israel Beth Aaron, Colt St. Luke, that wonderful suburb of the beautiful city of Montreal, Rabbi Popko, I think we have agreed uh, mutually because of the intensity of what we've done over the past couple of weeks that this is going to be our, I guess, uh, our summer wind up show. We're going going on summer hiatus, I think they call it. Yes, yes. Now, I do have a tremendous amount of reruns that I could just really drop every week. Uh, But the way the world changes so quickly. By the way, I have a small correction.
1: Just a a small, and and, and again, I'm reluctant because, you know, I I don't like to.
0: But there's nothing about you that's small, so I don't know. <laughs> but go it's ahead. Small.
1: It's 41 years of of at this point. We've been doing. Oh, this
0: for yeah, long. yeah, but okay, okay. So now let me respond with <laughs> with my podcast prescience and understanding. Um, it doesn't sound as good. Forty, You're right. What, 41 right. years or of. 40 years means 40 plus. I understand. Okay.
1: Right. Okay,
0: I, I know. I know all your old congregates in Oshawa have been picking this up on via satellite <laughs> on Sirius XM, and they're saying, "What is he saying? We were forty-one. He was our rabbi." Yeah. <laughs> do, do, do you ever go back to Oshawa to see how that community Never. has been? Ever. I uh, hear. Yeah. yeah, you should figure. I mean, are they still doing anything more than producing cars there in that city? What are they doing there?
1: I think, honestly, I think it. I think if Toronto's gotten so big. That when I was there, Oshawa was considered like it wasn't considered a suburb. Now it is, uh-huh. I think. I mean, I think people live in Oshawa and work in Toronto. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, uh, it's, I, I, when I was there, it was a small self contained town.
0: Yes, I remember I visited you there. We had a great time. Uh-huh. Uh, Hamilton is all, is also really is, is Hamilton a suburb of Toronto now? Uh, well, really,
1: Hamilton's a much bigger city than Oshawa. Hamilton's yeah. to the west of Toronto. Uh-huh.
0: But still Toronto's, Toronto's tentacles are have reached and
1: Toronto created, is a major metropolis.
0: Uh, yeah. Montreal is is a small town now. You know, I have always said that if there if there wasn't New York and the megapolis that is you know this you know intense center of Jewish life, Toronto would be the major player of North American Jewry. I mean I don't know. I
1: think Miami, uh, LA Yeah, they've eclipsed Toronto, you think so? In other words, I would say there's five major
0: cities in North America. There's
1: New York, Toronto, Chicago, L.A., and Miami.
0: Chicago, I mean, Chicago and L.A. took a long time to catch up. Yeah.
1: But also what you're seeing now in North America, or I should say really United States, not really North America, the U.S., mm-hmm. is uh, a real growth in Haredi communities outside New York. That means whether it was the – whether kollel was the cause or the result. I mean you can we can all debate that. Right, but the but the COLIM certainly did that. Oh sure. You have ma- major Gaverum in communities that made it their mission to bring in like minded to find employment, to find you know, to have a career yeah. So you have you have Haredi enclaves in oh, places sure. that never existed. Sure,
0: Dallas and Atlanta are the two that, yeah, are, that come to and mind. Atlanta. And actually, uh, on another program on this platform that I spoke with Yitzhak Adlerstein, who's a very nice fellow, you might know him, we talked about actually the quality of those Haredim, because they sort of have a good out-of-town values melded with, you know, a solid Haredi background. And I, I, it isn't, isn't just, oh, we need some place to spread out and find a home. I, I think the happy, certain, you know, the totsa uh, of that has actually been a better brand of Haredi, which is more open to what's going on in the greater community, and 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 like we all know, there's a certain openness that out-of-town people have, even if they've been raised right. uh, so in a sure. No, way. it's also, I think that out-of-town, it's, it's,
1: you're more likely to be exposed to different people, which is important, because one of the, I think one of the reasons you have this phenomenon of, of, of kids going off the derrick is that they never feel special enough in being, you know, Torah Jude because everyone they've ever known and got to camp and school and lived with and played with in the street is exactly like them. They don't feel distinctive. And I think there's a, and that's important. I mean, to, to stay them it takes some, you know, no,
0: that's a, that's you know, a, I mean, As again, both of us are out of town kids and both of us, although it was pre this phenomenon right. we're talking about, both of us sort of had that proto phenomenon of being the Froom kids, and we talked about this on this program. Right. And I think that's, your, I think that's what you're what, what you're saying. So out
1: of town, I think there's a greater opportunity to to feel special for being Froom, and yeah, you well, need to
0: feel that way. Whereas I think here, as, as someone who's been in the educational field for a long time, I can tell you, the kids who are in the seventy percentile who aren't the top of the year, who don't you know get the Ruby's Mitsuyan Dika statements, they sort of feel middle of the pack or below, and because of that. That's where you start searching for something else when you're not getting the shidduchim, when you're not getting the, the praise before the shidduchim. So your mind starts to go towards what's considered, you know, the other side, which doesn't occur, I think, in the uh, those those enclaves. Again, right. there's there's actually another phenomenon similar to that, which is see the moving. Like I told you about Chasidim in Jersey, Chasidim in Baltimore, and in other places as well. I've heard, by the way, that even in Scottsdale, Arizona, there is now a nice Hasidim community uh, that has arisen out there, which is quite incredible. Um, and I think that all of this is, is positive. I mean, we celebrate, I know you're in North America, we celebrate uh, the U.S. Um, and w- I guess here's my segue. We just had July 4th, a, a bloody July 4th because of the events that occurred in Highland Park, uh, a city that I'm quite familiar with. I I ran a number of of programs there in my years in Chicago. Uh, Rabbi Shanowitz, whose shul was right, I think, on the parade uh, uh, route and was just two blocks away from where the shooting began, Uh, we ran programs uh, together with them, which is interesting considering the discussion that that we had before. Um, So I know that area pretty well. It's interesting. It's one of the last great enclaves, Highland Park is, of conservative strong conservative judaism right Um, chicago was always
1: known for that it's interesting you're right though yeah
0: it's 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 a wonderfully wealthy suburb it's a very pleasant place to be but conservative that that you don't see the decrepit aspect of conservative judaism there and unfortunately i think from the Corbonis, i think nebuchadnezzar was a jewish educator that was was there were several jews there was right so jackie Sondheim, melo shalom who uh, was known to be, I think, involved very strongly in Jewish education there. Uh, interesting, again, you know, the the image, and I, we don't want to spend too much time on this because it is quite quite tragic and terrible. But that image of a little wagon festooned with uh, the American flag that you know little kids were sitting in, that was just left abandoned in this little, real picturesque Highland Park Main Street, uh, you know, after the shooting. It really is, again, it's, it's something that. I guess in some way, we're numb to it. I, I don't know, you know, when, when I, you know, you, you compare that to, to other things. Um, I heard people say afterwards, you know, we're not going to parades anymore. I don't know if you, I don't know if, 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 if it touched any hearts there in, in Canada. But when I was in show, I heard, you know, people saying, oh, you know, we're not going to any parades, we're not going to go to a parade. Oh, it really
1: is. It almost, I mean, I hate to draw the comparison, but during the Intifada years, you know, with the repeated bus bombings in the early two thousands, uh, you know, where it was so recurring, it was happen- it kept happening over and over again. That, you know, it, it, it's almost what's going on in the U.S. today with with the mass shootings. I mean, Philadelphia, Texas, Buffalo,
0: uh, right? So again, it, look, you know, we we're armchair sociologists and you know rabbis by trade, uh, but when you think about it. Like, look at the three places of the last one. One is like, a, I want to go to the supermarket, right? Top supermarket. Right. The, other, the other is a school. And the other is a public celebration of democracy and freedom where conservative Orthodox Chabad Jews in Highland Park, along with the whole tapestry of, 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 of Jew, Jews and non-Jews, uh, a wealthy, uh, well-established community can be can be turned into uh, a quivering mass of jelly and fear but I'll, I'll tell you it's uh i
1: mean the, i mean you mentioned the new york times i mean i just i read this morning the background of the shooter he had police had, had were were aware of him he had he had were called after a suicide attempt another time they confiscated weapons from him uh clearly mental breakdown here and uh and again the uh the, the numbers of people who are aware of deeply troubled souls and yet find it impossible to find that, but I'm not faulting them because it is, what do you do with someone who you fear is so troubled, they may hurt someone. What, what, what is the mechanism? I mean, people don't know what to do. You right. call the police, they visit the guy, he puts on an, you know, he behaves for 10 minutes in a conversation with a, you know, with a uniformed police officer. I mean, I mean, and, and here's the thing, you know, the, the most painful part of the article I read about his background, so interesting. They were talking about him and I think his brother when they were little kids in elementary school. One of the teachers said something that it is so painful to hear. And you, you don't, you know, you don't, you don't, you know, it's obviously you jump to certain conclusions, but that every day after school, they were the kids who weren't picked up, that the parents were absent, and that there was always a problem. And they, and they were standing there the image one of the teachers had of this kid is a, a, you know uh, was a, of the lonely kid wait you know watching as every other kid gets picked up by loving a mother or father or both and these kids are left behind
0: it's interesting because i saw and again i didn't do many research here on this but i did see in passing that his dad at one time had run for mayor of island park right. so so it sounds like he wasn't just but a guy
1: were divorced or weren't living together it, he had an it, listen he's living in a house it was such strange how the article put it. The uncle, the uncle did a lot of interviews. The uncle said, and then it comes out at the end, they live in the same house together, but it sounds like they have absolutely no contact. <laughs> it was right. the
0: strangest. Yeah, interesting because, it, you know, it, you know, what I, I mentioned Highland Park being a great affluent suburb. I think it's another thing that we have to realize that sometimes uh, these picturesque Norman Rockwell, you know, wealthy areas have o- other parts of it and I think we sort of paint it all with one brush. The high- also, the other thing is that in all of these stories, in all of these
1: stories, right, you know, in these, you know, you you read the, uh, the, you know, the academics who've done, you know, the the research and the data collection, is that in all, almost all, I should say, always say almost, almost all these cases, you're talking about a family breakdown, you're talking about kids who weren't, you know, given the upbringing that too many of us take for granted, you know, uh, of a secure home and, uh, and it's tragic. It's just, uh, the, the results are, 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 there for everyone to see. And, uh, unless you have that foundation of security and love in your life, uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, you often end up leading a life that's, uh, right. disoriented and, uh, and, and tragic.
0: Right. And the reaction has been, you know, politically, not necessarily to get to the root cause of that family dysfunction, but rather to limit the possibilities of these people hurting others by whether it's through gun control or other sort of methods of policing. Uh, and again, we've talked about that in previous programs, but I think, again, it, I think it would be callous since this is our last show. We were leading into the summer, not to mention that. Uh, and, and to mention, of course, you know, our uh, you know, obviously people can always say their hearts and prayers go out, uh, but as two American boys, I think the tableau that we've seen here is really, you know, it's 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 overwhelming. Uh and and you know, I we talk about America in the summer, uh, which is seen as really, you know, Beach Boys, you know, hit the beach boy. Like if we had good production values, we'd have the Beach Boys go on now and you know, we'd have fun, 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 you know, till our daddy takes the T bird away. Uh it's really Help me,
1: Rhonda. Help, help me Ronda.
0: Uh, <laughs> yes. I can sing if you like. You know, I, I think we should basically have the program should be like Beach, baby, a Beach, baby, there a van from July to the end of September. <laughs> right. So this Beach Boys type of world we know really runs and I think we've talked about this, but it runs so counter to our calendar uh, that, you know, we're going to be signing off here and probably picking things up. California
1: and, dreaming. <laughs>
0: well, who knows? Um, you know. Look, I have to say this. I might edit it out later, but you know, never Cass Elliot, you know, there was just one sandwich. She could not resist. Unfortunately, <laughs> you, know, you know, she's, she's in the oil is saying, if only I could have just, no, but, you know, you know, I know what you're about to say. I mean, you know,
1: the rest of America is singing Surfing USA, and we're sitting with the three weeks. That's right. We have the three weeks are coming. We can, right. we can hear the rumblings. Well, I want to tell you know. something funny. My mother used to say. My mother had, a, had an expression from the old country. My mother, who, by the way, uh, spoke an accent-free English. I mean, she came to America when she was fine and graduated Temple University. But she, had, uh, but she grew up in Yiddish, and she had a uh, – there's one expression I'll never forget. She said, vos is the Yiddish Zumel which is that seven weeks we count, meaning the Omer, three weeks we cry, meaning the three weeks, and four weeks we blow, meaning the shofar right. before Rosh Hashanah. Right. So, That's the so, poor summer.
0: Right, so this period is when all the weddings and all the vacations go on, rabbis take leave and things, but we know that really, and again, I've talked about I'm this up. before, that it really is totally antithetical Really, to what we sh- where our brain should be. And let me, let me even put it in, in, in stronger terms. We know, and this came out during the, the midst of COVID, where these ridiculous lawsuits were being uh, hoisted upon New York State because the camps needed to be open. And we know what, how, what is so significant about that camp life. It really is, in a way, is it a time of pensive reflection? The three weeks begins its second period for the summer camp. Right? So even though the place can write, and here's a little bit of Tyra finally in the program, the place can say how you should be, maybe don't go to parades, don't go to things that are shkia hazeika, don't get involved in activities where things could happen, and this is where the camp trips are happening. We're going to go white river rafting. We're going to take the kids climbing. We're going to take them on all these type of trips, and the, the ones who get the best prize can maybe go in the helicopter. Hold on. Chazal say, this is a time of fear, a time that we have to worry about din. Let's even talk about the nine days for a minute. It's coming up in a, in a month or so. So during the nine days, we're supposed to be misabil and feel like the mace is almost in front of us. And then we get to the hurman. What happens during in the camp during the nine days? Every night is a siyum every night it's... Are you hot. sure? I didn't realize that. Is that true? Yes. Basically, they Even have... The, from camps. Yes. They have the masmida making siyumim, and everybody is coming, and they're, they're eating and having... I mean, I
1: heard of the charade of the, the New York restaurants where they have a guy pop out every hour to make another
0: siyum. <laughs> right. I mean, that yeah. I've heard. No, of. it happens in the camps throughout the nine days, and part of it is because... It's not what was intended. <laughs> but, but, but here's the thing. I, it's almost a conundrum that can't be solved. Let's go back to history for a minute, which is somewhat of your forte. Right. But you know, I taught it. We know that the school year, the idea of having these three months, uh, let's say the two months uh, of Jewish right. summer, was really a byproduct of the agrarian society, where of course that kid can't be in in, in the schoolroom; he's got to be helping out in the field, like the Amish have are still doing. You know, right. harvesting and putting bales away, getting stuff ready, sweating, and you the the you only go back to school as the harvest is pretty much finished and the kid can now go back to school. So the the idea of not having school during this period of having summer of having vacation was never really a vacation. It's only with the industrial revolution and uh, the America's wealth and other countries wealth to produce these Disneyland's and other sort of parks and other sort of areas that this period, which came a time off for kids turned into Summer fun and hanging out in the beach. So here we are in our Jewish world, submitting to the same calendar, having the breaks the same way, right. basically the schools are, and, tr- and and really busting our heads trying to figure out a way of what to do with our, our with our children. I think we're missing one element
1: here. I think because I know this from the parents around me is that they view summer camp just as a way to get rid of their kids.
0: Yes. I I I felt that way even growing up in Memphis that my mother sent me to this non-religious, you know, sectarian. It wasn't sectarian, it was a Jewish camp, but I was the only few religious kids there. And I realized that job.
1: You know, I, I have to tell you something interesting. When I first came to Montreal, um, people still benched at weddings. Now when I I mean that obviously from people still do, but I'm talking about non-from weddings. Non-from weddings. When I came in the eighties. You, the idea of not benching at a wedding wouldn't occur to anybody. It's a Jewish thing. You got to bench. Today, that's not the case anymore. By the way, the non from weddings do not have benching. I mean, I don't know this personally because I don't stay at weddings anymore. I just go to chuppah's. uh The idea of sitting at a wedding, you know, is, is you know.
0: No, no. I, I think you don't. You go in for one ceremonial dance. No,
1: not at all. You don't no. do that anymore. No, I'm in the car before yichud's over. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> No, the whole thing when I when I come to a wedding, my main thought is when am I leaving? Um, the, um, the 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 non firm weddings don't don't bench anymore. But when I first came to Montreal in the, the mid '80s, late '80s, they, every wedding had benching, no matter how non firm they were, and every wedding was kosher, and every wedding had benching and everything, and 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 you'd bench, you get up and bench, right? Some mostly it would be a chazan leading, sometimes I would do it. And I'd get up and, bench, and like 80% of the room is talking like no one's paying attention, but there were always two tables or three tables of people benching. And you go over to them and you knew exactly what was going on. You guys, I would go over to them. I go, you guys are friends from camp. Right. And they go, yeah. How'd you know? The only people who know how to bench were people who went to camp. Mm-hmm. And these aren't necessarily from camps, but they were Jewish camps. Sure. In those days, Jewish camps benched.
0: right? right. Well, so- w- w- one second, w- let's be honest. The reason why they benched is because I don't know when it arose, but there became a song of benching. Right, right. So, 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 there was a way. It was almost like uh, thank you for the bus driver. Right, right. No no, for for, sure. uh, no, no, but at least they knew how to bench. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. They knew how to bench. Right. I, I mean, and today when kids go to camp, you know those kinds of camps. I'm talking about like wide camps. You know what I mean? Those, you know, camps where the food is kosher and there's a Friday night. People put on white shirts, but not much else Jewish is going on. The one Jewish ritual they now learn is havdalah mm. and for the reason you just said, because there's a song. That's the one they don't know. Kol Nidre, right. they certainly don't know Vay-Heb and Saya, but nine nine they know. Right. And um, but 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 again, that's that phenomenon is over. But again, if if you heard people benching you know, 30 years ago was because they had gone to do it.
0: Okay. So let let me throw something at you, which I have been pushing for years. I don't know if it'll ever work. Maybe they'll put it on my, you know, that will be the epitaph on my, on my Matzeva. But one of the things I've been pushing was let's throw out the agrarian concept of what the school year should be. Let's instead have breaks every couple of months for a couple of weeks and this way, the parents and the kids don't have the tremendous expense of where are we going? What's going to be the summer camp? And they are able to be in school. You do matriculate to the next grade. Uh, but basically, every couple of months, there's a two-week break, which is sufficient time to sort of recharge, as opposed to having this huge expanse of time. And this way... I could, have another secret. Wait, wait, wait. Let me just finish. It could be... Because I said it's going to be in my tombstone. So it could... see. I, I, that has be different. a really big tombstone. <laughs> what's, what it could align with the Jewish calendar as well. Hopefully the Mashiach will be here and there won't be this sense of Avelis. But this way you're in school. Look, the best way to teach Tisha B'av is not when the kids are looking at what's going on in the baseball field and the interleague right. of what's happening in the basketball championship that's happening at Rosh Instead of that, they're in school. And the same way school can be fun and great School during Tisha B'Av time could also be instructive. Whereas, and, but the, before that's when they had the break and maybe even, you know, I don't know the, how Ella will work, but maybe a break for the first two weeks. Again, i leave it to the- to the- right, here's, I have another thought about camp right, do you, first of all, what do you well, think? There are a lot of good camps where they spend
1: some time learning in the morning. I, there are some good camps out there. Some of the religious Zionist camps do a really good job of inculcating uh, uh, religious Zionism. Uh, I put some of them go, I mean, I've heard some weird stories about how before Tishabov they build a base in Big Dosh and on Tishabov they burn it down. I, mean, I I don't think that's necessarily. <laughs> yes. just, okay. Uh, oh, I mean, whatever, no. they try. They try very hard to, you know, impress values on the kids. They do. They really take education seriously in some of these camps. But I, I had a thought uh, it's go just, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. specific to Montreal. It's interesting in Montreal. When I first came to Montreal, the kids who were graduating Herzliya, which is the community high school, right? It used to be under more orthodox auspices, but less so today. But again, the, the teachers, the, the Jewish studies teachers are all orthodox. The kids, I don't know what percentage of Shabbos, I don't know, but it's the, the community high school. Those kids all graduated speaking Hebrew fluently. And fluently and I, and I know them today I know the ones who graduated years ago because I they'd speak Hebrew fluently today for whatever reason they, they don't and they have the same amount of hours and the same amount of instruction but kids don't learn a language anymore. and I've talked to educators over the years about why it is that kids can't learn another language and that and in Montreal it means French also they don't they, they, they spend hours and hours studying French and they can't speak French they can't function I mean they, they know a little but they can't function. And, and and one educator who I really respect, a great guy, told me he says if you want to learn a language, you really have to want to. <laughs> he says and the desire isn't there, so I had this thought about camp. But uh, why don't we use camps to teach kids things that they ki- that they won't learn in a school? In other words, you put kids in a holistic environment, in a language that is not their native tongue, and that's how they would learn a language. They'd be forced to, but you do it organically by living in a in a bubble that's unilingually Hebrew, or if you care about French, unilingually French, or if you want Yiddish, you could do Yiddish, and maybe use the camp experience, which is a holistic experience, to teach that, which we cannot seem to be able to teach in a school
0: school classroom. Okay, I I, want to give you that, and I think it's important for a school not to be the same prosaic spot throughout the year, but here's the difference. What happens is kids go to different camps, and then go right. back to school, and there's a dissonance. I, I, I am not saying be in the same brick and mortar, boring place, and then have a break every six weeks or seven weeks, right. and then come back. But it should all be under the school's perspective. I think what right. hap- what happens is, is that this... So you, I agree with you. The school should be inventive and creative. And COVID has taught us that we need to be inventive and creative. But at least there's some sort of uniform guide uh, and what I find often is that, and, I, and again, I will say it, even my own children, what the, the, the immense change that can occur in a sixth grader or a seventh grader over a summer, and based on their experience, is so great that it's almost like they are different people when they come back to school. They've made different friends. It's almost like, you know, and, and, and we talked before about we started today talking about loners and people that were upset about the places they were. I've talked to so many kids who love summer, but hate school, and, yeah. part, and, and, and thrive in the summer. What I, again, what I'm suggesting is the schools have to be more inventive. I, I think it has to be in the else I saw. This is, and
1: I think, and I think this is under undervalued. There are a lot of kids who aren't popular in their schools, who aren't considered successful in their schools, who are in the out group in their class or grade, and the six-week camp experience, which is you know you know which is pretty common or four-week, is the one opportunity they have during the year where they're with a different group of kids and they're not the loser and the nerd, right? Where they find kids who are more like them, and they don't or kids who come from a home life that's not perfect and they're stigmatized for it in, in a school. In a camp, their family's not around, right? No one judges them that way. So there's this, you know, you could create an island where at least once a year for a handful of weeks, that kid feels normal. And and I, I think that's undervalued. I think camping no, no. I, I get away from that stuff. And, and you know, and, and the kid who, you know, who isn't popular because he's not athletic. In school, he goes to camp, and maybe he's popular because he can do wood carving or whatever the heck (laughs) it is. You know what I mean? Or drama (laughs) or whatever it is. The the point is, they find an island where they feel better about themselves.
0: That's true. Right. But as I said a couple minutes ago, going back creates a dissonance and a hatred, really. Of what represents the majority, well, of the, the schools try to be like
1: camps. They have color war in schools now.
0: Yeah, which <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad idea. Again, look, I, I think we can learn from what that camp experience has been. Uh, and, and remember, you know, although you're right, there are great success stories of kids who who thrived in the summer and were sort of just medium during the year. But I think we also have the uh, the opposite. I can tell you as someone who was always at the top of their class, uh, scholastically when I went to the summer camp that my mom sort of forced me to go, I played deep, deep, deep right field. That was my, that was my thing. Right. And I, and I was, they pinch hit for me every single time. I don't think I ever were pinch hitting for him. Right. Um, I was pretty fast. So I once said, well, maybe I can at least pinch run for somebody. Right. And, uh, I still remember. Again, so there, you're right. It, 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 the sword cuts both ways, and and and, and I think it's it's it, it, there's a struggle here. Look, uh, you know, and I, I would say even just in terms for for health reasons, we talked about you know the three weeks and not being around uh, places that are dangerous. There's I think another health issue which is um, skin cancer. There's something about again it, when you're in a building. Yes, this exposure to the UV rays that most of that camp experience was about. I can tell you, my summer camp experience, you know, I, we had swimming. I never learned how to swim, by the way, because the counselors. Like Terrible. Wait, 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 wait. I learned to swim when I was 40 after my. I think labor camps in Srebrenica were better. Than yes, yes, that's what. But you know what it was? The the teenage counselors Basically, we're just waiting for their time to get into the water right, and, and right. hang out. Meanwhile, the supposed instruction was 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 completely absent. And I remember it was a it was a there was no shade at all. the 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 pool had no shade. It was the hottest, you know. Concrete. The the, the smoke was rising out of the concrete. You and, have a lawsuit. There's no question. Yes, I definitely. <laughs> Look, look, and my parents weren't exactly readers of Scientific American to know uh, how much UV rays were doing in those. When you went to camp,
1: no one used the word UV
0: rays. No, not at all. All (laughs) I could tell you was that I was burnt like a tomato, consistently, (laughs) and and I never learned how to swim, and I hated it. I really, I begged my mother. How
1: Um, many years did you go to camp?
0: So, I think I went from first grade or second grade till about sixth grade. Uh, Are you and and hey, I, I can tell you that you know I was part you, of. The, you're, I, I, you're breaking my heart here with you. I was part of the Comanches. I remember that was our that was what we were. I I'll went t- to
1: camp twice. I went to camp in uh, uh, 1967 and in 1969.
0: I watched the moon landing. In camp. From camp, but, yeah, but, so, but you went to but this was this was a day camp. This was I no went way. to a sleepaway camp. That's I mean, well, you could afford that. My parents never thought. Of Let me just leave you with one beautiful memory that I have, um, and we talk about how you know the dissonance between the three weeks. I remember I was about ten, and um, uh, I was starting to fast, you know, because I felt you know, that was the halacha. You had to start fasting, and it was Shavas or B'tamus. And um, I was going to fast till I think about one o'clock or two o'clock. Now, lunch was, I guess, 1145 or 1215 or something like that. Um, and I remember that the counselor I mentioned to the camp counselor, he saw that I didn't have my lunch with me or that I wasn't taking it out. And, um, and uh, he said, why? What's going on? I said, well, this is a fast day. This is called Shivasa Batamos. We're supposed to be fasting. So all the kids are eating, you know, and the counselor's eating. Oh, you know what? You're going to give a speech. What? Yeah. You're going to tell everybody why we shouldn't be eating and why you're fasting. (laughs) No, it's a true story. true story. You know, and he he, he knocked, you know, he banged on the table and said, they had a nickname for me, which I can't use because it's somewhat obscene. And they said, okay, he's going to tell us all about why he's fasting today. And here I was standing there watching everybody stuff their mouths with whatever type of sandwiches the kids had. You know, they had all these, you know, different sort of lunch boxes with the rat patrol or whatever it was, you know, with the you know, voice to the bottom of the sea lunch boxes, you take it out, and stuffing themselves. And here I was at 10 years old, having to give a speech about why I'm fasting. I tell you, it was really the first time, and I, I sort of still feel that way, That that was really the beginning of my life as somewhat of a Jewish educator. To an audience that was scoffing, that was in a way laughing, uh, and, and 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 again, I don't know. This was obviously a different type of experience, but I I can relate to kids who hate camp um, because it really, in a way, uh, you know, stresses other things. But you're right. It, it, today there's there's geek camp, there's nerd camp, there's science camp. There's all those things. All I'm saying is is that I, I wish there'd be a holistic way of melding it uh, with no, what you, you point out about school connected
1: to camp, I think is very important. I think if, if in general, we looked at the 12 months as one thing rather than two very distinct things, 10, 10 months or nine and a half months, one place and the other month somewhere else. And, and we integrated the camp experience into, into the school using the camp to prepare for school and using the camp to compensate for school or to add to school in in a more integrated way, in a way that was thought out, you know, in in, in a broader sense, it would make a lot more sense. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be one camp. You can have, you know, depending on the size of the school, you can have two or three camps, but at least some element of coordination between what is being done during the school year and what is being done in the camp weeks, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I'm happy
0: that you agree with me finally on something. I, I, but I, I
1: disagree vehemently with the nickname they used. <laughs> inappropriate. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I, I think this one. Uh, you know, what my nickname. You know, I've had many nicknames in, in, in school. Uh, I was teased. They used to say, "Poop goes the weasel." Like "Pop goes." Yeah, the weasel. Yes, yes. And then, or then, for many years, I was called Poopsie. Yes, Poopsie was. You're the only one who would. You, you're the only one in the world who uses. you leasel.
0: Ralph. Right, you're the only one in the world. I'm the only one who calls you Ralph. Yes, you're the only one.
1: You're the. I don't know where that name came. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, you know, it it, it was it it, was, it didn't get into the gap. Let me put it that way. <laughs> and <laughs> and um,
0: finally, okay,
1: now we're being honest. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but
0: Pupsy, I was called Pupsy for a long. Anyway, right, a long right, long right. Time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but you know what? None. Look, you, part of you. You mentioned this when we talked about the differences in. Of uh, people that are troubled you had a, a tremendous amount of support from your family your mom and dad made you feel like a million bucks you didn't have a problem they let them call you pop because the weasel poopsie you never came home crying because you no. felt that you no. right no. right you knew you listen you knew how to let the water i'll tell you in. my only bad moment in school
1: uh there was a kid in third grade with me named mark katz and he came to school and he claimed that he was going to be in the next week's episode of batman <laughs> which I knew wasn't true. So I, so I don't know how it, it got ugly because he then did a Batman kick on me. And I, I, and I, as you know, I am not known for my athletic prowess nor my dexterity, but Simon, he kicked me. I grabbed his foot and flipped him backwards and he banged his head on the radiator and had to go to the hospital for stitches. Oh, wow. Yes. And the teacher at the time who was from Israel, a nice lady called up my mother and, um, and, and didn't speak highly of me. And, you know, she, not so much for the violence, but for my um, my cool demeanor. The aftermath of the violence, which he took as being uh, uncaring, if not sociopathic. Right, But our cats <laughs> had it coming. I mean, listen. I mean,
0: the guy was not going to be in Batman. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. You, 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 you needed to argue your point and win. Uh, I, I just wonder again when you know. It's possible, though, when his head hit that radiator, there might have been like a big balloon that came out and said "Pow, <laughs> Zam! <You know? laughs> right? That, that that might have happened. I, I right. just I
1: feel vindicated, though. He actually he never was
0: a Batman. I, so I was vindicated. <laughs> you know, I think on that note, as we close off our uh, our our wonderful na 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 Take care, everybody. Catch you at the end of the summer. Be well. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.